Sometimes when I'm waiting for the message to begin, I pretend I have a piece of paper up here that I'm looking at my notes, and just, there's no paper up here. <laughs> Mostly just a prop. Um, welcome. Um, if, if you're new to Bethlehem or if you're watching us on, online or listening online, my name is Matt, and I'm obviously one of the pastors here. Um, I'm excited you're joining us today because this is part three of a series that we're calling Greater, and this is simply a series where we look at things, specific things in your life that are greater because Jesus is alive. And today I'd like to start out by telling you a quick story. Um, sometimes I, I tell little stories about our staff here, and I want to tell you about someone that I've never told you about, and her name is Andrea, uh, and she's our children's ministry director here. Um, so this goes back two weeks ago, and, and this is the time of year where spring is kind of here and it's kind of not, and it teases us quite a bit. But the story is two weeks ago Sunday, it was a beautiful, beautiful spring day. And so I'm like, in the afternoon, I'm like, I've got to do something outside. And so I, I knew that I had been neglecting my poor Honda Civic for quite a while. I haven't touched it since winter, okay? And so I'm like, this thing is going to get cleaned. So inside, outside, top to bottom, clean the windows, vacuum the carpet. This car was spotless on Sunday evening. And then came this Midwestern spring day the next day. So, so Sunday was perfect. Monday morning. It's dark, it's dreary, it starts raining, and then it starts snowing, and then it starts raining again. I mean, the whole day was just miserable, and of course, my car gets completely packed with dirt and mud and everything. And then Tuesday morning, it's the same, like completely miserable outside, car gets, car gets even dirtier. And so, so Tuesday morning, I'm sitting at our staff meeting, we're about to begin, and Andrea, she asks me, so Matt, how was your week? And I said, well, apparently I can control the weather. She says, what do you mean? I said, well, you see, I washed my car on Sunday, and Murphy's Law suggests something's going to happen Monday. And sure enough, it started raining, and now my car's a mess. And so I told her, apparently, I can just control the weather by when I wash my car. And she said, Matt, you can't control the weather. They were forecasting this for a week. I said, that's your opinion. <laughs> Don't doubt my powers. But lesson learned, uh, next time I'll definitely be checking the weather. Um, this is what I did, and this is something that applies to washing cars, but it also applies to many other things in life. Committing on today without accounting for tomorrow is not the best idea. It's not the wisest move. A lot of us know this with financial decisions. We've made decisions in the heat of a moment. We said, I got to have it, got to do it, got to invest in it, whatever. We just went all in without pausing to account for what might happen tomorrow, and we learned that committing on today without accounting for tomorrow is not the wisest idea. Uh, we do this relationally. We invest in certain people today because of what we foresee tomorrow. This especially happens recreationally. Um, some of you were looking at the details for this weekend thinking, okay, what are we going to do and when are we going to do it? Because we got some sun out again and hopefully it'll stick around this time. Amen. Amen. Um, and so we do this recreationally. All different aspects of life, we understand the wisdom that we need to account for tomorrow before we commit to today. And yet there's this one area of life that for some reason trips us up. An area where we would rather not account for tomorrow, but just kind of go with today and, and enjoy today as, as often as we can. And ironically, the area of life that we're talking about is death. Um, there's a, there's a, a strong percentage of, of Americans who don't have a plan 
but don't have a will. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying it's, it's a bad thing or a wrong thing. I'm just saying it's a thing. A lot of people don't want to account for the possibility that tomorrow could be the last. Um, and it's one of those uncomfortable things to talk about too, right? Um, why is it that, that tomorrow, thinking about tomorrow and death can be something that we just don't want to account for? Well, Here's the thing. This has been going on since the beginning of time. Philosophers and smart people have been thinking about this, like, what is the real purpose of life? If we could die tomorrow, what does that mean for today? There was this common phrase out in the first century um, that people were repeating and dedicating their lives to, where it said, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we may die. Well, if, if that's all tomorrow can promise, then you might as well just live up today and self-medicate your way through today and try to find something fun to take out of it. What I want to do today is show you that because Jesus is alive, you have a greater tomorrow than this. By the way, this is something that the Apostle Paul quoted to some churches back in the first century. This has been out there for a long time. What we're going to do today is we're going to see how there's actually a greater tomorrow because Jesus is alive. And, and uh, this is the idea we're going to keep coming back to. This is number one on your sheets. How you live today is shaped by how you foresee tomorrow. And Jesus gives you a greater tomorrow, which will impact your today. What I hope you get out of this, if you're a Christian, what I hope is that you find greater confidence in what you're doing today, greater purpose in what you're doing today, because you have a greater tomorrow. If you're not a Christian, if you're searching for answers, what I hope is that you can see the reason why Christians do the things they do, and why they can sometimes sputter and, and make some weird comments at you when they're trying to talk to you about faith. Uh, it's because there's this greater tomorrow that drives us, and, and sometimes it's hard to put into words. But to, to look at this deeper and to see what kind of greater tomorrow this is, we're actually going to look at another section of what the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century. And he's, he's writing this letter to this church in the city that we call Corinth. And just some background on this. When Paul went to Corinth to be a pastor, it's not like he had a full-time salary and benefits and, and stuff like that. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually had to work a job during the day and then, we, and then be a, a preacher on the weekends. And if you look at the book of Acts, which records all of Paul's uh, ministries and stuff like that, when, got, when Paul got to Corinth, he actually became a tent maker. Like that was his full-time job. Apostle of Jesus Christ is a tent maker. What that means is all the people in this church in Corinth would then have this amazing story to tell. They would say, yeah, our church was planted and organized and started to run by Paul, and he was actually working as a tent maker during this entire thing. And now as Paul is sitting down to write his second letter to this church, because they had so many issues and problems, he wrote a second letter to them, and he actually uses his tent making background as an illustration. So, so that explains why he's using this picture. And we're going to look at how the picture of a tent actually helps us understand the greater tomorrow that, that Jesus offers. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what Paul wrote. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, and a better way to translate destroyed um, is dismantle or take apart, because that's what you do with a tent. You take it apart when you're done with it. We know that we have a building from God. He goes on to explain this building. It's an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. 
So here's the analogy. So your life right now is like life living in a tent. And someday we're going to be done camping and we're going to be with God in a house, a good house. So I need to push this in for some of you real quickly. Some of you love camping out in tents. Some of you would live in a tent if someone gave you that option and if it wasn't socially unacceptable. Like you just love living the tent life. Some of you are like that. You could live your entire life out in the, out in the woods, just camped up in a tent. The rest of us normal people don't like it so much. <laughs> because what we understand about tents is that they're designed to be temporary. Uh, they're designed to be moved around, and they're des- just by nature, they're not going to be very comfortable. Now, Paul's going to make a couple of applications from this with regard to your life as a tent. And I'm going to give them to you up front here, then we're going to see them unfold in these next two verses. So number one, your life in a tent is by nature temporary. We know this about tents. Um, Tents are designed to be mobile, to be able to be moved, and they're temporary. We know if we're camping for three days, it's going to be a three-day kind of tent. If it's going to be a week, it's a week kind of tent. But after that time is done... What do you do with the tent? You take it down. Tents are temporary. Second thing is, tents are not comfortable. Unless you cheat and bring a mattress with you. That's cheating. You can't do that when you camp. I know some of you do that. You bring a mattress with you. And real campers, they just sleep on the ground with a sleeping bag maybe, right? But tents are not designed to be comfortable. They're designed to be temporary for a temporary purpose. Sometimes we have two-people tents. Sometimes they're four-people tents. Sometimes they're wall tents. Sometimes they're circus tents. Every tent, by design, is designed for a purpose and designed to be a temporary thing. So Paul's going to expand on this, and he's going to add to this picture a little bit as we look on. So meanwhile, while we're still camping and we're not in our house yet, we groan. Why are we groaning? Because we're longing for something. There's, there's not so much comfort while we live in a tent. Now he's going to change the picture just a little bit. He's going to add a flavor to it. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Okay, I don't, I'm not going to push any details there, but he's just using this tent analogy, also combining it with this idea of being clothed and, and unclothed. But the point is, we are longing. We are longing. And in, in a minute, we'll see why there's this natural longing inside of everyone. We understand that we're not designed to live in tents. Next verse. For while we are in this tent, we groan, and here's the other part, we are burdened. This is not a place of comfort. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal, what's temporary, what's destined to be taken down, may be one day swallowed up by life. All we can do is long for a day that things will be more permanent. But in the meantime, we're going to be burdened. So here's two things. So we shape today based on what we can foresee tomorrow based on how we foresee tomorrow. But what do we see in this life? Here's what we see. We see lack of comfort. We see limited potential. Because if all we have is tomorrow we die, then today we might as well just eat and drink. So this is the problem that we have as campers in this life. Uh, Living in the tent, all we see is the tent. 
But what God is going to show us that there's more to this than just what we can see right now. And Paul is going to take this picture a step further, and, and then uh, things are going to change towards the end. So here's the real, so here's an observation. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Uh, the one who has designed us to be in the house is God. We were not designed to live in the tent. He has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, quick picture. Some of you have seen this on social media. There's this picture, that, there are actually several pictures floating out there, of um, the side of a bar. So you picture a, a building that's a bar. You know what a bar is. Um, and on the side of this building is a sign that says, free beer tomorrow. And you look at that sign, and you're like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. And so you come back tomorrow, and what do you see? The same sign, free beer tomorrow. So you walk in, you say, where's the free beer? And they say, it's tomorrow. Every day, it's tomorrow. And sometimes we might feel like that with God, where he's saying, hey, life will be better tomorrow. I'll give you a greater tomorrow someday. And you might think it's kind of similar, like, well, I don't think tomorrow is ever going to come. And God says, well, you know what? I'm going to do something for you then to prove that there is a day called tomorrow and it's really coming. He says, I'm going to give you a deposit, something that shows you I have what I offer. I'm going to give you a guarantee, and that guarantee is myself, my Holy Spirit. And here's how I often view that. Whenever we open the scriptures, that's the Spirit giving us a picture of who God is. So on those days when you doubt, oh, God, tomorrow you promise this, tomorrow you promise that, you see, when you look at what the Spirit has to say, you see Jesus making an impact in people's todays. You see dead people come alive. You see uh, lame people walking. You see paralyzed people moving, right? You see God with the ability to impact people's todays. Those stories, those accounts are the Holy Spirit giving you a guarantee. Your tomorrow is coming. And, and what we as a church here are going to celebrate in just a little bit is, is the Lord's Supper. And, and this is a very clear, pure way where God says, here's my guarantee. It's in this meal that we, we have this body and blood of Jesus, but it's an anticipatory meal. This is a meal that we celebrate now while we're in the tents, but Jesus said, someday we're going to celebrate this meal together in the house at the banquet hall. And, and this is an anticipation. It's, it's a deposit. It's a guarantee that a greater tomorrow has already been secured for us. As we go on here, there's this last section where we're on this high. We're in this good place where it's like, all right, there's this greater tomorrow coming. And then it seems like the Apostle Paul says something that's going to drop the seat out from underneath you. Except that's metaphorical because our seats aren't that cool yet. Um, So it's going to feel like the seat's dropping out from underneath you because what he says next is going to change the picture a little bit. He says this, Therefore, we are always confident. Um, First of all, what does it mean we have a greater tomorrow and a guarantee that it's coming? That means today we are sure. We're confident. And we know that as long as we're here at home in the body, in the tent, we are away from the Lord. Well, how do we know all this stuff? Here's the thing. It's a matter of faith, not a matter of sight. So often our today is shaped because of what we foresee tomorrow, but what we see is, is often lack of comfort and little purpose, little, little, little uh, purpose. But what God says is there's more to it than what you can see. 
he shows us something by faith, a bigger picture, that there is one who has already secured the greater tomorrow. It's just a matter of us waiting for it. Now, here's what happens when tomorrow comes. We write number three. Confidence for tomorrow comes by faith, not by sight. And, and when that confidence comes about you and you look forward to tomorrow, here's what the Apostle Paul describes as happening. Uh, so next verse. We are confident, I say. Paul says, as far as I'm concerned, I would rather, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal today in camp, in tents, where things are not comfortable. We make it our goal to please him. No matter where we are, whether we're here, whether we're there, doesn't matter. It's our goal to please him because we know that every tent is designed for a purpose. And our purpose is to give, give testimony to what is to come tomorrow. And we do our best to please him. And then Paul changes the picture. We why do we please him? Because here, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what's due. Uh, one day, we're all going to pack up our tents and dismantle the tents, and we're going to go to the house, and God's going to look at us and say, what have you been doing out there at camp? What were you doing out there in the woods? What were you doing while you were living in the tent? We will receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And that's where, if you're reading through the Bible, the section ends. Verse 11 is a new section, new topic. But you can't quite leave it there, can you? A quick story. So when I was um, a younger man, back in 2004, I was so young back then, um, I went on a, a church camping trip uh, with the church I was at out in Salt Lake City. And with this church camping trip, it was a camping trip. I needed a tent, I needed stuff, but I didn't own that stuff because I'm not a big camper. I'm like most of you normal people, right? I don't like to camp all that much, a little bit. But anyway, I needed a tent, and I knew a guy in the church where I was at that had a tent, and he had a lot of tents. And so my plan was, I'm just going to go out to his place, borrow one, and I'll be good to go. Well, the thing was, I went out to his place, and he wasn't there. He was gone out of, out of town, and I had to leave that night. And I couldn't get a hold of him, nothing I could do. And so I'm like, well, what do I do? I took a tent, even though he wasn't there. Someone was at the house. I didn't have to break in and enter. But I took the tent without asking. And all the while, I'm just like, oh, I, just, I don't feel right about this. I wish I would have asked him. I wish I had permission. It's just this guilt thing going on inside of me. But I was a young man, so I pushed it to the side. So I go camping, and it was like the second or third day, I can't remember, but somehow my, my, my foot got caught along the zipper, and I kept walking, and I ripped that tent along the side. I'm like, oh, man. So every guy, first of all, thinks duct tape, right? <laughs> That's not going to—I start going—we we laugh at it now, but this is what guys think. How can I fix it? How can I fix it? So duct tape, no. Sewing it, no. That's not going to work. This is a nice tent, weatherproof so I'm like, you know what? There's no way I can address this. There's no way I can fix it. So when I got back into town, I looked up someone who could. I paid a lot of money for that little rip in the tent, but it was as good as new. And Paul says, one day we're going to pack up our tents. We're going to go up to where God is, to his home in heaven, and he's going to look at our tents. He's going to ask, what were you doing? What's going on here? 
And whether good or bad, we will receive what is due for us. And I'll tell you what, none of us is in good shape. Sometimes we mess up our own tents. Sometimes it's other people's. We're a mess by the time we get there. But I want you to know there's good news. When John sat down to record the life of Jesus in his, bio, in, in, in his biography, John recorded this amazing part in chapter 1. He describes when, when Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became a human being, became flesh. One of his, one of his uh, descriptions is this. It's in John 1, verse 14 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling, literally made or planted his tent, set up his tent among ours. So here we were in our tents, separated from God because of our own sin, and there is the eternal Son of God becoming flesh and setting up his tent right next to yours. Well, why would he do that? Because he alone is the one who can fix what it is that we have broken. He alone can mend what we've torn apart. And as you look at the rest of the section here, while the, the section is, you, if you look in the Bible, this, there's a break after verse 10, Paul actually keeps going to share some very good news about the one who dwelled among us. Paul goes on to say, For Christ's love compels us, it motivates us, it drives us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. It's as if we've already received what was due for us, for what we did while we were living in the tent. It's as if we've already died and been punished. And he goes on. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now here's a shift. That even while we live in these tents, God says, you still have a purpose yeah, you're not where I, I created you to be. You, you, you're still longing for something. But the life you have now, tent and all, there is a very specific purpose to it. And Paul summarizes it here in verse 20. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. You might, you might say, well, I'm pretty ripped up, though. I'm pretty torn. I don't have the best background. There's a lot of better-looking tents in this room right now than me. And you know what? Sometimes it's through our weaknesses that the one who fixes the tent can be seen at best for what he can do. Sometimes it's not until you see how ripped something is that you can see that the masterwork that the one who repairs it is capable of. Even right now, we are Christ's ambassadors, living in tents, next to other people living in tents, as though God were making his appeal through us. What appeal? That there's a greater tomorrow. And when you see, by faith, the greater tomorrow... It shapes the way you act and live today. Uh, Christians, this is what gives us confidence. Until a greater tomorrow comes, there is a divine purpose for today. God says, I know you're living in your tent. I know I've got this wonderful place called heaven. It's a home, and it's built not by human hands. You've got to see it. It's marvelous. You think gold and marble are cool. Wait till you see this thing. If there's this, um, this marvelous place waiting for us, there must be a very compelling reason for God to say, just camp out a little bit longer. Camp out a little bit longer. And there's a good reason. There's a divine purpose for as long as you are here. If you have a heartbeat, if you have a breath, it's because God has not yet been finished telling his story through you. So, what I hope for all of you today, if, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, that this would solidify your confidence in today as, as you consider 
the tomorrow that God has prepared for you, that he calls you to by faith, that it would give you a confidence to, to live as, you, as, as he wants you to be today, as an ambassador to him. And, and if you're just considering this whole God thing, if you're not sure this is you, you, you yet, what I, what I hope to, to, to accomplish for you today is maybe just take a step closer to understanding what it is that makes churches like this so excited to lead people to Jesus. I'm convinced that when you lead someone to, to Jesus, the one who changes tomorrow, that it will have the power to transform not just your eternity, but your today. Let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, it's, it's amazing to think about the, the place you've prepared for us. We don't deserve it. When we look at our tattered tents, our, our rips, our tears, the things we've done while in this life, we do not deserve to be with you in the least. And yet you have shown us love and compassion by sending your son to dwell among us, to be our righteousness, and to take away our sin. That is an amazing story that you've worked in all of our lives. I pray that you would give us all increased confidence in today, living for you as we consider the greater tomorrow that you've secured. Bless everyone, no matter where we're at, with the confidence of knowing of your love in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.